In this session, we will shine the spotlight on the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. What an absolutely fascinating book Genesis is with its 50 chapters. It is a book about beginnings. And when you look at Genesis, you'll see at least 10 times the statement made, these are the generations of, or this is the genealogy of. And that's how the book of Genesis derives its name. It is a book of beginnings. In Genesis chapter 1, for example, we see how God created the heavens and the earth. We see the beginnings of the universe and the earth. As you keep on looking at Genesis chapter 1, you see the beginning of man and woman, Adam and Eve. As you continue reading the Genesis account, you see the beginning of marriage in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 and following. You get to Genesis chapter 3, and there is the beginning of temptation and sin. And you keep on going through Genesis, there's the beginning of family in Genesis chapter 4. You keep looking, there's the beginning of kingdoms in Genesis chapter 10. The beginning of languages in Genesis chapter 11. In Genesis chapter 12, there's another beginning, the beginning of a Hebrew family, one from whom the Lord Jesus would eventually come. And as you get to the end of the book of Genesis, you see that this family... Abraham's family is eventually becoming a nation and it would be the nation of Israel through which our Lord would come. The book of Genesis is truly a book of beginnings in many ways and so it serves as necessary background for all of the other 65 books that make up the pages of the Word of God, the Bible. That's why it's important to get a good handle, to get a good grasp, a good understanding, a fundamental understanding of the book of Genesis. Now, when you look at the book of Genesis, it easily divides itself into two major sections. The first 11 chapters, the first 11 chapters of Genesis concern four main events. Creation, the flood, the fall prior to that, the flood, and then the Tower of Babel. So let me put them in the right order. The creation in Genesis 1 and 2, the fall in Genesis chapters 3, 4, and 5, the flood, Genesis chapters 6 through 9, and the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Four main events that have so much to say to us today. One, it would indicate in Genesis, God is shown to be the creator and the designer. Very important to understand and appreciate that truth. God is the creator and designer. But secondly, man was made in the very image of God. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Man was made in the image of God. That's what the first 11 chapters indicate. But there's also something else indicated in this section with these four major events. And that's that man fell. That man chose to sin and somehow and some way there is this terrible injustice and offense done to God and our relationship with Him is broken. The close fellowship or relationship that man initially had with God, somehow things weren't the same due to sin and its consequences. 
but also in these first 11 chapters of Genesis, one can see the first hint the first intimation of the gospel, the good news of the salvation of man to the glory of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we see it in a passage like Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. So again, the book of Genesis has two great parts. Genesis chapters 1 through 11, four key events. The creation, the fall, the flood, in Genesis 6 through 9, the Tower of Babel incident in Genesis chapter 11. But then when we look at Genesis chapters 12 through 50, the remaining portion of the book of Genesis, it really focuses on the lives of four individuals and how they looked to God in faith. In Genesis chapters 12 through 24, the primary character is Abraham. Abraham. And it is to Abraham that God would make a promise in Genesis chapter 12 that through his seed, that through his offspring, eventually all the nations of the world would be blessed. Then in chapters 25 through 27 of Genesis, we would read secondly of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of promise a son that Abraham had when he was 100 years of age. And then in chapters 28 through 36 of the book of Genesis, we read of the third main character, Jacob. Jacob. Jacob being the son of Isaac. And we're seeing how God will keep His promise concerning providing one who would deal with the sins of man and make possible reconciliation, a coming back together, this would be Jesus ultimately. Then you look in chapters 37 through 50 of the book of Genesis and here's who you read about especially, a character by the name of Joseph. And the book of Genesis encompasses a tremendous amount of time. Undoubtedly, more time than virtually any other book in the Bible. But it tells us primarily about four great events, the creation, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And it tells us especially about four key individuals, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Now, in the remaining portion of the time that we have in this study, I want to acquaint you with some very important passages in the book of Genesis. We're going to shine the spotlight on a number of verses that I think are really helpful for us as we look at the overall plan of God. Now keep in mind that the plan of God in Jesus in doing something about our sins and His eventually coming here to pay the price for our sins at the cross, this is something that had been in the mind of God since before time began. The Bible even speaks of this in Titus 1 and verse 2, "...in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised." before the world began. Now that is a marvelous thought. And basically what I'm saying is this, God in His infinite wisdom knew that man would sin and God in His great grace and mercy and love provided just what we would need in Jesus to give us the assurance of a vital, living, saving relationship with Him again. What a great and awesome God we serve. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1. 
In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There are many things that we may not be able to explain in life, but the child of God, the believer in Scripture, can say with absolute certainty, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as one looks at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, there's so much by way of principle that we could learn. In the first place, we can learn much about God. God created all. Everything, everyone that is non-God has been created by God. He created all things, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. So God is the creator and He did this by His very powerful word. He spoke and it was done, Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9. And as you look through Genesis chapter 1, you see repeatedly, the Lord said, the Lord said, the Lord said. But another great principle about God is this. Everything that was created was initially good, indeed very good so much so that the creation itself tells us a great deal about the power, the greatness, the glory of God. So much so that the psalmist would declare in Psalm 19 and verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows His handiwork. But also in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we learn a great deal about man. You see in chapter 2, there's more of a focus. The camera lens is focused on the sixth day when man was created. And man is created in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. There is something about man that lasts, that continues, that goes on. Man is capable of loving, of thinking, of reasoning, of exercising compassion. And in many ways, this all reflects something of the very image of God. God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. So the Bible would tell us much to say about man by way of principle. Man was initially created in the image of God. Man was placed in the most beautiful and comfortable of environments, the Garden of Eden. Man was given dominion over all the rest of the creation by God Himself. Adam was to name all of the creation, the animal creation and all. And what a marvelous experience that must have been. We see from Genesis chapters 1 and 2 a great deal about the nature of God and the nature of men. In Genesis chapter 2 verses 18 through 25, we also see a great deal about marriage. It was God Himself who instituted marriage. God wanted Adam to understand his need for someone to compliment him, someone to correspond to him, someone to walk beside him. And when Adam names the animals, he realizes that there is no one that corresponds to him, that compliments him. God causes a deep sleep to come upon Adam. 
From one of his ribs, woman is formed, Eve. And when Adam sees her, oh, the joy, as he says, Woman, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And some principles are set forth concerning the nature of marriage as God intended it in this entire scenario, in this entire scene. In the first place, man, biblically, is to be married to a woman. Eve was created for Adam. This was God's way. And we should appreciate and respect that. Also, marriage would involve a leaving and a holding to each other. The leaving of one home, as we think of things today, to establishing another when we talk about marriage and we look at Genesis chapter 2, 18 and following, the two become one. There is a profound sense of unity in real marriage. And there is a great sense of intimacy as well. They were naked and not ashamed. Oh, the book of Genesis is a marvelous book, a fascinating book of beginnings. It's worth our time to shine the spotlight on this powerful book. Then we go to Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, we read of the serpent of Satan tempting Eve and Adam with the forbidden fruit. God had placed but one rule of all the trees in the garden you may eat except one. And guess what the serpent, guess what Satan is trying to get Adam and Eve to do? To eat the fruit that had been forbidden by God. And the Word of God would indicate something of Satan's strategy. What you see in Genesis chapters three, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, remarkably corresponds to 1 John 2, 16. The lust of the flesh, it's good for food. The lust of the eyes, Eve saw that it was pleasing to the eye. The pride of life, and it was desirable to make one wise. How well Satan has used over the years this type of strategy to cause people to doubt the goodness and mercy and love of God. He begins by trying to create doubt, as God said. Adam and Eve would listen to the temptation, give in, eat the forbidden fruit, and oh, how much would be lost. Oh, the consequences of sin. Paul would write, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Romans 6 and verse 23. And it's in Genesis 3 and verse 15 that the first promise of Jesus can be intimated, can be seen. As God speaks to Adam and Eve after their sin, and as He speaks of the serpent Satan, He speaks of one who would come who would be the seed of woman, and how this seed of woman would ultimately bruise or crush Satan's head. Victory deliverance would be made possible through Jesus who would eventually come as the seed of woman. And again, this had been in the mind of God from the very beginning of time. 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, Ephesians 3 verses 9 through 11. 
several things can be learned from Genesis 3.15. One is that Satan is very real. People who doubt the existence of the devil have a hard time dealing with the Bible. You cannot explain away his reality by using Scripture because the Bible that reveals Jesus is the same Bible that reveals the reality of Satan. You know, it's amazing how often some people don't want to consider the historical nature of the book of Genesis, but Jesus believed in the historical nature of the book. He refers to the creation and from the beginning, Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. Jesus would refer to Abraham in John 8, 56 and following and would even say before Abraham was, I am, John 8 and verse 58. Jesus would refer to Noah as an actual, historical, literal individual, Matthew 24, verses 38 and 39. And Jesus would refer also to Lot and his wife in a passage like Luke 17, 32, where with three words in English, he says so much. Remember Lot's wife. We go to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, and Adam and Eve have a child. And the word of God indicates in Genesis 4 and verse 1, I have gotten a child with the hope, the help rather, of the Lord. In Psalm 127 and verse 3 and following, 127, verses 3 and following, children are an heritage of the Lord. Children are a gift from God and a sacred trust. When we become parents, ladies and gentlemen, when people become parents, we need to view our children as a gift from God and as a sacred trust committed to our care. And our attitude, quite simply, must be something along these lines. Our children are ours for a while so that they can be God's forever. The second great controversy that God had with man concerns the area of worship. You have Cain and Abel, the children of Adam and Eve. One offers an acceptable sacrifice to God of the firstlings of his flock, that being Abel in Genesis chapter 4. The other offers vegetation, fruit, plant life to God. If the Word of God indicates that Abel did what he did in offering the firstlings of his flock by faith, Hebrews chapter 11, and if faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, I think it's reasonable to conclude that God must have said something, something about the nature of the worship that was to be given Him in terms of these sacrifices. Worship is a subject concerning which we do not want to be wrong. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him, must worship Him, the proper object, in spirit and in truth. John 4, verses 23 and 24. Cain killed Abel out of jealousy and spite, out of hatred, and God would say, where is Abel your brother? And Abel, being dead, would have his brother Cain respond, am I my brother's keeper? And early on we understand how we must have 
a love for our fellow man, a love for our brothers, our sisters, that's right and good and appropriate. Because all people have been created in the image of God. There's something about every soul that you look at that was so precious that Jesus came down. He came down and died for that person. How one responds to Him makes all the difference. And how you respond to them can make a huge difference as well. In Genesis chapter 5, 22 through 24, in the early verses of Genesis 5, you read over and over, and he died. Then you get to a man by the name of Enoch. And 65 years after he entered this world, he gave birth to a son, and the Bible says after that he walked with God for 300 years. Wouldn't it be great if the great decisions of life like getting married and having kids and launching out in our lives caused all of us to more long to walk with God. Enoch did. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, in a time of great sin, sin so rampant that God regretted that He had made man in the first place, the Bible says Noah found favor. Noah found grace in the sight of God. Grace is unmerited favor at Christ's expense when anger was owed. What a marvelous study the word grace is all about. You look at grace throughout Scripture, Noah found favor, unmerited favor. He was a man that trusted God. He was a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter 2, 5, 1 Peter 3, 20. And then we read of the flood in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. Keep on going with me through the book of Genesis and let's go to Genesis chapter 12. And in Gen Genesis chapter 12, we read of God's covenant, God's agreement with Abraham. He said that I will bless you. I will give you a land. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse you, curse those who curse you, and through your seed all the nations of the world will be blessed. Genesis 12 is a great passage because we start to see Jesus. Genesis 3.15, the seed of woman who eventually would crush the head of the devil. Romans 16, verse 20, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 4.4, 4. but here in Genesis 12 and this promise to Abram, it is through Abraham's seed that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Keep going. In Genesis chapter 18, you have some remarkable passages to consider. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Genesis 18 and verse 14. Abraham is told at nearly the age of 100 years, he's going to have a son. And through that son, great things would come. Jesus would eventually come through the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. 
Think about that. And also Genesis 18 and verse 25, there's another passage where the Word of God says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Our God is a God upon whom we can count. He is dependable. He is faithful. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. He will do what is right. In Genesis chapter 18, verses 22 through 33, Abraham intercedes for Lot and for his family and for the wicked people of Sodom. How important it is to lift up others before our God in prayer. Sometimes prayer is primarily about ourselves and our needs and our desires, but there is a marvelous lesson in intercession here in Genesis 18, 22 to the end of the chapter. In Genesis chapter 19, we read that God will deal with wickedness, that God is also a God of wrath, Romans 1, 18, that He is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God, Hebrews 10 and verse 31. In Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is born. And in Genesis chapter 22, you have one of the great passages in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, God tells Abram to take his son, tells Abraham to take his son, his only son, the one that he loves, Isaac, and to offer him as a sacrifice to God. And this seems unreasonable. It seems unfair. It seems so harsh whenever Abraham had tried by and large to live his life as a man of faith. But immediately Abraham responds... And before he could take his knife and slay his son as an offering to God, God stays his hand. God knew what Abraham would do, but sometimes we have to remember ourselves. Do we love God more than anyone and anything? The Word of God tells us in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 and in passages like Romans 4 that Abraham believed that even if he did kill Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead. What faith! As we keep going through the book of Genesis, it's good to notice in chapters 37 through 50 the life of Joseph. In chapter 37, Joseph has a doting father, a father that's somewhat uh, partial in the way he treats his sons, and he treats Joseph especially well. In 38 and 39, the jealous brothers sell Joseph into slavery, and they lie to his father, and they say that he must have been killed by some wild and vicious animal. You keep reading through the book of Genesis and in chapters 41, 40 and 41, you've got Joseph in prison and he's in prison because of something that he'd not done. He was not guilty of any type of wrongdoing. 
but he's in prison and he is forgotten by some of the very people that he had helped along the way. You know, faith is often tested. It's tested by mistreatment. It's tested by circumstances not going the way that we think they ought at times. And in Joseph's case, especially in Genesis chapters 42 through 50, they're tested by power and a time when he rises through the ranks to become one of the lieutenants of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Here's how Genesis ends. In Genesis 50 verse 20, Joseph says, You meant what you did to me for evil. He says this to his brothers, but God meant it for good. How important it is that we always trust God no matter what circumstances we face.